Good morning, church. Our passage this morning is Mark 1, verses 16 through 20. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. If you would have a seat. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God and Father, you have uh, two promises that stand in front of us uh, this morning. Your promise that uh, where two or more are gathered in your name, Lord, that you will be there also. And Lord, also that uh, your word never returns void. Uh, Father, we could uh, recite these until the end of the age uh, for our very encouragement, but Lord, we know that they are true. We know that we have come into this place, and Lord, that you are attending uh, with us, and so we attend you. Uh, Lord, we know that your uh, word has great power, and so we ask that you would, uh, Lord, display it for us this morning, and we pray all of this uh, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I want to start in uh, the place of a question for us this morning, and that is uh, maybe one that might make some of us feel a little uncomfortable. Uh, I'm not going to do this, but if I were to come out and uh, nab your phone from you, if I was to confiscate your phone and uh, use your face to open it up or whatever we'd have to do to get into it, and if we were to actually go onto your social medias, onto your Spotify's, onto your Facebook's, onto your YouTube's, we would be able to see who you are following. Uh, the word, they actually use that word to, to follow. Uh, we, we click it, it's not just subscribing, we're following people there. And so I wonder who it is that we would find that you are following. And for some of us, you go, here's my phone, you can have it. Some of us, though, would be like, people don't know that I'm really into disco. And uh, I just can't have lots of people knowing that. Other people may have more nefarious things. We're not going to get into all of that, but we would know something about you by who you follow. So I'm asking the question this morning, who would we find that you follow? What artists? What news sources? What podcasts? What celebrities? What personalities? What, what people would you be following? Maybe you're really into business and you actually follow some business gurus and so you, you follow them and that's, uh, you take on what they have to say. I have my brand too. Y'all would all be very bored to know what kind of podcasts I listen to. Uh, they're, they're not exciting, but they are to me. Uh, but I follow people and you do too. And something about that word follow is interesting to me. Uh, because if I were to come in here and call any one of you likely a follower, if I was just to come in and say, you're such a follower, uh, likely you would feel extremely disagreeable on that point. We Americans have something that would be agitated by being a follower. I'm not a follower, I'm a leader. We all kind of uh, have this sense that we could be uh, influencers or that we could lead large organizations. If only somebody would give us uh, the opportunity. We're not followers. I take great offense at that. And yet, 
our technologies tell on us rather explicitly because we're not just clicking buttons that say uh, subscribe. They say follow. We're followers. All of us are followers. We are, all of us, followers of someone or something. And it's just a, a part of kind of who we are as human beings. Uh, it's actually, maybe even more tellingly, a part of our identities. It's part of our real life uh, kind of profiles or bios, if you were. Uh, in fact, we, we do that too on our phones. We, uh, we log in and we create profiles and bios that have something to do with our identity. So, uh, you know, every Sunday morning, the people that are serving you get together and we circle up and we pray. We kind of hear a, a mini piece of the sermon because we have Kid City volunteers that go downstairs, aren't able to, you know, take uh, part of this uh, fuller worship service. And so we kind of lay things out there. And I asked, you know, what are the things that we would find there? And so some people say, well, my name, because the, the, you know, the Twitter or X, I don't know what it is, but, uh, you know, that, that handle doesn't really accurately describe who I am, so I put my name in there, or I put my vocation or occupation. Uh, back in 2011, which is the latest that I've been on the Twitters, uh, my bio had something to do with being a husband, a follower uh, of Jesus Christ was in there. That was actually a piece of it. I wonder if your bio has something to say of the same, that you're a Christ follower, a follower of Jesus, a Jesus follower, husband, father, daughter, sister, follower of Jesus. But where do we get such language about following Jesus? And, and here's the other question, is it even accurate of us? For uh, some people at your work, they may look at your bios on your profile. Some family members may take a look at that and see follower of Jesus or Jesus follower and may have big questions for us because they don't necessarily see that in us. Another question might be, is it the most biblical definition of someone that follows Jesus, Christ follower? What I think that we learn here as Jesus is calling people into his kingdom is that Christ's kingdom call creates Christians. Christ's kingdom call creates Christians. That's what we're going to discover this morning. We're going to kind of uh, take a road to get there. It's, uh, we're going to hear the call. We're going to understand something of this call that Jesus is putting out there. Then we're going to learn what it is to heed the call, to actually obey it, to follow it. So we're hearing the call, we're heeding the call, and lastly, we're asking, what is our calling? What's our calling? What's the nature of it? What are the dimensions of it? If we're called and we're heeding that calling, what does it look like on us? Turning our attention to the Gospel of Mark, we uh, will remember from the last few weeks that we've seen the announcing of the kingdom, we've seen the appearing of its king, Jesus, and we see that King Jesus is actually, he comes and he's baptized by John the Baptist. And then he's coronated, as it were, as the beloved son of God, the father, in whom he is well pleased. So we see all of this kind of kingdom language. Last week, we discovered that our king has a kingdom which is at hand. You can look just above the passage for today and discover that his kingdom is at hand. And then in order to enter into that kingdom, there are two things that you got to do. You've got to repent, and you've got to believe. Repentance and faith are the entrance into this kingdom. 
This week, we're going to learn something about what it is when you are in that kingdom. This week and the weeks to come, we're going to see Jesus begin to call others into that kingdom, and we're going to start seeing their kingdom responses. So you'll hear in the weeks to come, uh, by way of uh, Jeff and I, um, these kingdom responses. So the first thing that we want to do is hear the call. We want to hear the call. And so I want to draw your attention to verse 17 where we see the call. Uh, Before we hear it, we've got to see where it is in this page. Verse 17, follow me, Jesus says, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And then immediately these uh, people that are called left their nets and then followed Jesus. Follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. And immediately they left and followed Jesus. So I want to ask four questions as we kind of understand this calling, as we hear the calling this morning. I want to ask, who makes the call? What is the call? Who receives that call? And then how do they respond? Uh, This is just classic Bible study. If you want to get the Bible, if you want to understand it, then you've got to study it. You've got to ask some questions of it. These are uh, essentially called interpretive questions. First, who makes the calling? You'll see on your notes there that this is the first question. And the simple answer is Jesus. You're like, hey, I like it whenever the uh, announcement sheets have these questions, and then you can answer it with one word, okay? And then each one of these, I'm going to give you a simple answer, and then we're going to go a little bit deeper. The simple answer of who makes this calling, who says, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men, is Jesus. But if we go a little bit deeper to discover what it is that Jesus is doing here, we understand that Jesus has become this itinerant minister. He's already been to Judah, been baptized. He's come back up to the Galilee, we'll discover here in a moment. So he's traveling around and he's telling people about the kingdom. And he begins making these calls into the kingdom and assembling a small leadership team of disciples, followers that are going to follow him along. He's even possibly, the people would have seen, a prophet. So we're not just saying that it's Jesus, we're understanding something of his teaching ministry. And it says in verse 16 that uh, this Jesus, this itinerant minister, is passing alongside the Sea of Galilee. Now this is what I love. I love it when we get details like this. In fact, if you came to the scene this last week, we, we actually spent a moment just visualizing Jesus walking in the midst of a field of grain because this is what the Bible told us that he was doing. Here we see him walking on a beach. We see him walking along the seaside. This isn't felt board Jesus. This isn't figment of your imagination, Jesus. This is Jesus with real feet, real sand, real ground, walking along the side of the Sea of Galilee. We even know where that is. We know where it is. We even know where Nazareth is. It's about 18 miles or so away. This is actually, you know, stomping grounds for Jesus. Uh, Nazareth being about 18 miles away from the Sea of Galilee, we probably know that he was more on that side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was a local. So when we talk about Jesus uh, making this call, we've got to know a little bit about who he is. Now I want to dig just a little bit deeper here this morning because I'll bet that most of us don't know this. This calling, this calling that he's going to be delivering, actually references something in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 16, 15, we're just dealing with one verse, no need to turn there this morning. It says, 
God says, for I will bring them back to their own land. Pause. What was happening in Jeremiah is is that God's people were being uh, disobedient, so they had been dispersed, and God did not like them being dispersed all over the place. And so God the Father says, for I will bring them back to their own land that I gave their fathers. Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. A lot of times we come to this passage, this famous passage about Jesus calling the disciples to be fishers of men, and we go, they're fishermen. They're fishermen, of course. He's just using something that's contextual to them, and he's just calling them in. This is kind of neat, kind of cool. It's personalized. No, 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 I think that maybe what he's doing is actually referring back to something that was happening in the Old Testament where God says, I love my people. And they've been disobedient, so they've been spread abroad, but I have a plan. I'm going to bring them back. And he uses an illustration. I'm going to send out fishers. I'm going to send them out, and they're going to go, and they're going to collect my people back into my place with me. And here we are seeing that Jesus is calling fishers of men. In fact, it says uh, this is declared by the Lord. So what, what I understand when I ask about uh, hearing the calling and who's making this calling, I understand that Jesus is Lord. He's actually fulfilling something in the Old Testament. He's doing something that he promised that he would do, or rather that the Father promised that he would do. And now through Jesus, his son, he's calling fishers of men, fulfilling Jeremiah sixteen fifteen. So who makes the calling? It's Jesus. But we have some context for this. Now two, what is the call? Now the simple answer here is obvious. Follow me. The calling is follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. The first, we need to understand that there is an explicit bodily implication here. When we read the Bible, a lot of times we want to read ourselves into the story, and so we start very quickly, and we've heard lots of preachers say, you, you're the fishers of men. Get it? This is not a meta statement, I don't think. I think what he's literally doing is going to these fishermen, and he's saying, come follow me. And they're like, you mean metaphorically, Jesus? He's like, no, idiot. Just follow me. Come alongside with me. Leave the Galilee with me. Follow me. There was a bodily implication here that was special and unique to these apostles. Now, does that mean that there is no application for us? No. Wait, wait a minute. We will talk about that. But you've got to get this first. What is the calling? It's follow me. There was a literal, explicit bodily implication for these men. Second is that this was a calling to leave. Jesus wasn't saying to them, follow me, and then standing right there and staying right there. He actually calls them into this discipleship, this following of him, and they are to leave family. In fact, we even see one of their fathers, Zebedee, is there with them in the boat. 
And Jesus is saying, come, leave your father, follow me. Leave your home, leave your community, leave your security, leave your uh, occupation. What he's literally saying to them is, I want you to leave part of your identity behind you, and I want you to follow me. Do what I do, say what I say, learn the things that I have to teach you, come and follow me. So why fishers? Why follow Well, because it's a kingdom calling. They they are being made to become, read that there, made to become fishers of men. Jeremiah 16 says that God will be bringing his children back. This is a kingdom calling. It's not simply to follow him, to walk in a single file line and do the things that he says to do in a meaningless way, but that it's going to have everlasting, eternal implications. What is the call? Follow me into eternity. I will make you become fishers. I will use you to gather to myself, my people. Who makes the call? Jesus. What is the call? Follow me. Third, who receives the call? Now this too has a simple answer. Simon and Andrew, James and John, this is two sets of brothers. But, but even here, we're tempted in uh, Mark's terseness in in his recollection of what really did happen here, not to know some of the background to this. In fact, in uh, the Gospel of John chapter 1, it kind of clarifies, I think, for us that Andrew, in particular, was already a disciple of John the Baptist down in Judah, where there had been these baptisms that were happening. Andrew already heard John the Baptist say, there's the King of Kings. He's, he's already seen John the Baptist say something about Jesus. And so when we drop into this passage and we kind of envision this person that maybe they didn't have any context for, that might have been true of James and John, but we actually have some indication that it's not true of Andrew or Simon because Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist and he introduces, it seems, Simon to Jesus and Jesus actually uses that opportunity to rename him Cephas and Peter before, possibly before all of this happens. Then Jesus comes along the way. He finds these fishermen while they were working, while they were sweaty, while they were stinking, while they had scales on their hands, while they had blisters from mending nets. He finds these fishermen, largely unlearned, simple, but faithful Galileans. Now, now we lose this context. Galilee was up to the north of, uh, of Jerusalem, and then there was this entire area in between named Samaria, and the Jews that were in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas in the south really did not like Samarians, but they didn't have that much better of an opinion of Galileans. These were the Hicks. These were the people that spoke a little bit differently. And in fact, if you had been a Galilean and you had headed into the heart of Jerusalem, you probably would have been discounted in some way as being one of those rural people up there. There's a lot of different reasons in the Old Testament why that was, the different kingdoms that were happening and how they were taken over in different times. But we need to know something about these men. If you were going to go try to find the best leaders of leaders, if you were going to try to find the next group of people that was going to change the world, you would have not gone to Galilee and you would have not gone to stinky, sweaty fishermen. These are not the people that you would have uh, called into your kingdom making crowd. That's not who you would have called. 
But they're the ones that receive the call. And how do they receive it? The simple answer is right there in the text. Immediately, they left their nets and they followed Jesus. So there's this immediacy, this urgency. There's this willingness to leave what they had known. And then there was this willingness to then follow Jesus. So they weren't just trying to find a, a back door out of their family situation. At that time, that would have been something that would be almost inconceivable. Or if they were, you would expect them to go with this uh, strange man named Jesus and then peel off and go somewhere else, never to be found again. But they don't do that. They immediately leave their nets and they followed Jesus. Going a bit different, we, uh, a bit deeper, we might even say that they were um, unhindered by the world's trappings, all of the comfort of family and extended family or uh, knownness in their community. And then they took the courageous step to immediately and completely leave behind what they had known and follow this man named Jesus. What I want to do this morning is actually uh, put a little bit more meat on this bone of what was going on. And I'm going to turn specifically to uh, Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. That's to the other side of the sea. And a scribe came up to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. When we ask the question about how these men responded, we need to understand that they weren't hindered in any way, that they actually did what was hard and what took courage in this situation. We can actually see in this passage that Jesus teaches us that when you follow Jesus, you go wherever he goes and you go without delay, and it is a costly calling. The kingdom calling is costly. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to end up being more uncomfortable than the foxes that have holes or the birds of the air because you are going to be rejected like I am rejected. You're not going to have a place or a home. You're going to be a citizen of another kingdom. And you'll always have to deal with a little bit of tension of living here in exile as one of my followers. And if you want to go and honor your father by uh, burying him, that says something about your your willingness, your urgency, your immediacy to come and follow me when I call you. Jesus is saying that this kind of calling is costly. So I want to ask you a question as we kind of wrap up this first point, as we hear the call. Have you heard Christ's kingdom call on your life? Do you understand the kind of authority that he has to actually call you into his kingdom? And lastly, are you willing to be his disciple? So we've done a bit of Bible study, and what I want to do now is actually uh, take a moment to understand what it looks like, not just to hear the call, but actually heed the call, to actually go and do what it is that Jesus is calling us to do. Why? Because those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, 
he actually wants to justify. Those who he justify, he wants to glorify. And so I want to ask you this morning, if we want the kingdom glory, the glorification that Jesus is bringing to those whom he called, then we need the foreknowing, predestining, conforming to his images, uh, his son's image kind of glory. Then we have to know what a kingdom response looks like. If we want the kingdom glory, we've got to respond in a kingdom way. And what I want to do in order to do that is turn over to John. You can turn with me. We're going to spend a moment here. John chapter 6, verse 35 through, uh, through 40 says this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All the Father gives will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. You wonder what Jesus was doing here, why God sent him, if you want to know what a kingdom response looks like. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What Jesus says here is that I come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And we see that the will of him who sent him was to redeem the people that God has given them, that they might be raised up on the last day. That's why Jesus has come. It wasn't his will as much as it was God's will. God placed a kingdom calling on Jesus, and Jesus responds in a kingdom way. Why? so that he might heed the call of his father, even at the cost of his own life. We learn our kingdom response from our king. This gospel kind of response that uh, Jesus is calling into his kingdom necessitates for you, for you this morning, has already been accomplished in Christ Jesus. We don't serve a Savior who received a call from the Father and then neglected it, who was apathetic about it, who lived life as he wanted and did his own will, but rather we actually see what a kingdom response looks like by looking at the Savior of the world, by seeing that God the Father actually says, I want you to go and redeem a people for us to live with forever. And then what does he do? He responds is this kingdom response. He's willing courageously and completely to submit to the will of the Father, even unto death. That's what a kingdom response looks like. And that's what we are being called into. So, so back to this idea of identity. Who are we following? If Jesus was willing to, uh, to do the will of the Father even unto death, the question becomes really prescient for us in this moment. Are we following Jesus? Are we the ones that are actually following after his example even unto death? 
we have this morning a decision in front of us. We have heard the call. Will we heed the call? Are we heeding the call? Are you actually following Jesus? Are you a Jesus follower? But lastly, what I want to do is discuss this morning for us to take up together and examine what it is that is the nature of our calling. What is our calling? How do we understand it? Is it the same as the one uh, that God gave, that Jesus Christ gave to his disciples? When we apply these things personally, what do they look like? Listen, I want to take a step out of the normal sermon that you've always heard on this passage. This, you know, evangelistic call for you to go and be fishers of men. Those are good sermons. I'm not even like playing those things down. But what I want to do is take it up together and actually discover that when we take on board this calling that the disciples received from Jesus and we say, I am a Jesus follower. I'm following Jesus. I'm a fisher of men. I'm going to go and evangelize to people that when we do that and we too internalize that, when we too personalize that, there is a danger. And it's to miss something far greater and far more profound. You see, the Greek word follow appears 89 times in the New Testament. 89 times. That word follow, the one that we've been talking about all morning, Jesus' call to come and follow me, that word in the Greek appears 89 times, and it's almost always used in the Gospels. That's not to say that it's not used other, other places, but once you get to the teachings of the apostles and the disciples, they don't start using that for you and I. They're not using that for the early church. In fact, when they use it uh, in the you know, epistles and the rest of the letters from the New Testament, what they actually do is use that in a negative term. They say, uh, some say, I follow Paul, others Apollos. Okay, then they go on to actually uh, refer in negative situations that we follow our passions. But, but very rarely, almost never, is there any indication outside of the Gospels that we are to be followers You might be like, Chris, where are you going with all of this? Why does that matter? See, to me, what it does is it suggests that there is a limit to thinking of ourselves as followers of Jesus. Now, this is not a public rebuke for you. I'm not asking you to change your profile to non-Jesus follower. I've already told you there is a good way that we ought to take that. But what I do want to do is I want to go higher. I want to go better. I want to understand what it is for us to actually be that kind of follower of Jesus. First limit, John 13 says this, Simon Peter says to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus responds back to him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now. He goes on to say, you will follow me later. And he's referring to the kind of death that he's going to have. But the first limit that I see in the New Testament for this idea of following Jesus is that Peter could not die for his own sins. In fact, he uses this opportunity where Peter says, where are you going, Lord? And he says, where I'm going, you can't follow. And he goes, I'll go, I'll go to the grave for you. And Jesus goes, you can't and you won't. In fact, this very night, you're going to deny me three times. This idea of you following Jesus to perfection, to earning his kind of favor, he's saying, you can't do it. 
You can't do it enough for me to give you righteousness and favor. And so for us, we learn the limits of our following Jesus because we cannot die for our own sins. If your uh, profile says, I'm a Jesus follower, and you think that what that means is that you're going to do enough good work or that you're even going to die enough deaths to atone for your sins, you can't do it. There's a limit on following Jesus. Jesus has to be the one that goes to the cross and dies for your sins. That's the first kind of limit that I see on following Jesus. The next is Jesus' invitation to follow him in the case of the disciples is a special bodily way exclusive to the Gospels of, uh, of actually following Jesus in a bodily form. And it stops afterwards. Now, it is true that Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Jesus does actually invite us into that kind of following, and that is true. It is also true that none of the, none of the apostles use the canonized word of Scripture to command or call people to follow Jesus. They just don't do that. And so there is a limitation. There's a little tiny uh, warning in this of going, hey, if all you see yourself as is, uh, is as a follower of Jesus, you might be missing something far grander, far more glorious. This was illuminated for me by John Piper. It's not just an idea that I came up with, but it's one that I really treasure. John Piper says this, with the departure of Jesus an outpouring of the Spirit, the dominant way of thinking about the relationship between Jesus and His people is not that we walk around behind Him, but that He dwells in them, and they in Him, and they enjoy union with Him. Therefore, union with Christ replaces the physical following. Union with Christ replaces the physical following. If you think of yourself as a follower, if you think of yourself even as a Jesus follower, that you're just going to see his example and you're just going to follow his example and you're going to, what would Jesus do your way into eternity? You're losing something there. You're actually missing something far grander that God actually has united you to Christ. So yes, First Peter says that Christ suffered, leaving you an example so that you might follow. But that's looking back on Jesus' example. All the more does Ephesians 4, verse 24 say, put on the new self, which is Christ's identity. Romans 13 says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, put on his righteousness, put on his sonship, put on his heirship, put on his co-conquering, kingdom building, kingdom revealing identity, put on his righteousness, put on his sonship, be a family member, not follower. Do you see what I'm saying here? Galatians 3 verse 27 says, as many of you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. You're more than a follower. Christ's kingdom call does more than just create followers. 
Jesus was not just trying to build a group of people that might attend to his word and follow him around for all of eternity. He actually unites himself to you. He calls you something different. Christ's kingdom call creates Christians. He gives you his name. He brings you into the family. He lets you put him on. Christ's kingdom call creates Christians. In fact, I think that this is going to be a strange place to conclude. I'll I'll admit it, but it, it kind of just reveals something that's so mysterious and so grand and so glorious that I've really spent the majority of this week contemplating it, and I have not gotten to the bottom of it. Uh, in fact, I'm even a little worried just reading this at the end here at the conclusion that there might be so much confusion and so much uh, loose ends that you might walk out confused. But what I'm really hoping for is that I could quote Colossians chapter one, and that all of us would get this really brief, really amazing, really glorious, really beautiful glimpse of Jesus. That's what I'm after this morning. Colossians 1, Paul says this, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body. I'm filling, he's adding something to it, This is one of the most confusing statements in the New Testament, but when we take what we've learned this morning and then begin to hear the rest of what he has to say, I hope that we're going to see something here. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church, of which I became a minister, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known the riches of his glory in this mystery. What is the mystery? In this mystery, he's revealing it, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You have union with Jesus. You're not a mere follower. Christ has given you his own name, You are called Christian. You are so united with Christ that when God the Father looks at you from heaven, when he considers who you are in your soul to the depths of your being, he does not see your sin. He doesn't see your weakness. He doesn't see any of that stuff. He sees Christ. You are united with Christ. And nothing can tear you away from that kind of identity. Know the glorious mystery that is union with Christ. Christian, where are your riches according to this verse? Where is your hope of glory according to this verse? To what are you called? What is your identity? It is not simply a follower of Jesus, but that he dwells in you, that he's given his name to you, that you have been united to him. That is the great mystery of the gospel. Let us pray. God and Father, I pray this morning that something of the mystery of your gospel has come to us, has been revealed to us through your word, 
Lord, that the mighty declaration that we are in Jesus, that we have put him on, that we now have and own his righteousness, that we are conquerors with him, that we will be rulers with him for all of eternity. Father, I pray that you would impress it on our hearts. Lord, that when we wake up tomorrow morning, that we would know that we are in Christ that there is no demand from the outside world that trumpets, uh, you know, uh, anything greater than that mystery. Lord, that there is no philosophy of man, there is no greater calling in this world than for us to be image bearers of Christ, being conformed into his image, Lord, that will one day be completely and totally revealed in your people. God and Father of grace, I pray that you would help us not to just believe this, but Lord, that we would experience it. Lord, that for those who are battling depression, battling fear and anxiety, battling pride and uh, self-assurance and confidence in their giftings, I pray that for uh, people that are on the margins, Lord, for the people who uh, don't know what it is that they are to do in this life and are confused, for those who find it difficult to get out of their house and face society, for those who find it too easy to go out there and operate out of their giftings and build their own kingdom, and for those people who have a uh, just psychopathic level of confidence, Lord, I pray that you would allow for all of us to find our identity in something far grander, far more amazing, far more comforting, far more loving, far grander that we would find our identity in Christ, that we would be able to see things as they truly are, see things as you see them, that we are found in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us to live out this eternal reality, Lord, not for our own glory, but for our enjoyment. Lord, I pray that we would live in it such that Jesus' name would be magnified in the city and in the nations. Father, I pray all of these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.